0: Hey everybody, JJ Cooper here with Corey Patton. We are having a Baseball America Tech and Baseball podcast, but much as we did last week, it's also a Baseball America Draft podcast because we are going to dive deep into the draft. It is draft time here at Baseball America We're all excited about that. I'm guessing that you, if you're listening to this, probably are too. It's the latest that we've ever had draft time here at Baseball America because we're talking about a July draft, not a June draft. Had to change the entire – I've always called it the June draft. There used to be a January draft and a June draft. Now we don't have a January draft and we don't have a June draft. So here we are for the July draft. But as we are here for the July draft, we are going to talk today about – Pitching, I uh, would sleepers maybe a little strong. In some cases, sleepers, in some cases, guys who are pretty prominent, but there are some attributes about them that we want to talk about because our partners, draft point that we've worked with for multiple years now, Pramana has has done this in a way where they use natural language processing to surface kind of some characteristics that may be missing if you're just looking at it on the surface. I'm not the one though who should explain that to you. But as we dive into this, I'm going to ask uh, Corey Patton, who is the CEO of Pramana, to explain better than I can what Draft Point is.
1: Uh, JJ, thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to be back here again after last year. We had a really good time. Let's do it again. Draft time is always our favorite at Permana as well because of our DraftPoint tool uh, and you guys being great partners of ours. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and give a quick setup on DraftPoint and then we can dive into some pictures because that's what everybody wants to hear. Uh, So DraftPoint is our AI-powered tool that takes in all the scouting reports from Baseball America for all the years uh, and individual teams in Major League Baseball. We've worked with several teams in the past and now we're providing capability to baseball america to help kind of round out some of the content that you guys produce so we take a different approach than a lot of places do with looking at draftees as they're coming up to prep lists for drafting players we look at just the language that scouts say when they talk about players so for instance if you're a scout or if you're jj cooper uh, or carlos or any of the guys that have seen tens of thousands of players over the years, but as they're prepping to be drafted, you start to look at characteristics and you start to look at features and the way that they move and the way that a pitcher delivers the ball or a way that the ball moves or the way that they're coming into the season or finishing the season. And you write your scouting reports based on that. And what you're trying to do is project how those players might turn out. Well, draft point takes a much more Scientific way to look at that and create comp neighborhoods by just the language that is being discussed amongst players historically and those that are in the current draft. So, we're going to find a neighborhood, as we like to call it, of players that look very similar in the way that Baseball America has described them historically to players in the past. Look at that neighborhood, figure out a calculation of how that neighborhood has performed going forward, and then look at a ranking system that elevates players that may be under the radar numerically but actually look very similar in the way that the scouting reports were written historically between them and the current class so let's jump in today and see if we can find some good comps to tease out
0: yeah, and that's what we're going to do today but before we do that if you do check out when we did this last year uh, a couple of names I, I did want to kind of highlight so that you know kind of what we're talking about here uh, the top two guys that we had last year on this when we did kind of our, our 10 sleepers, and for sleepers by that terms, we did anyone who wasn't in the top 30, uh, Jared Jones, uh, right-hander at La, La Mirada, California, who then ended up being a uh, Pirates drafty. And funny, i I, I just actually spending a lot of time writing about him yesterday, both for a hot sheet that went up today and also for the Baseball America Prospect Report because Jared Jones is... Having a really excellent start to his pro career, Low A Southeast uh, Bradenton, showing kind of one of the best fastballs in that, but also four pitches. Uh, the other one I, I think that's notable to remember from last year also is, is we talked a lot about Nick York, who ranked 96th on the BA list, and and this is I think one of the things that's useful about about draft point. I, I think what if you read the report, I think Kyle Glazer wrote that report for us it was a really complimentary report about Nick York and you turn around and, and the Red Sox were even more complimentary than, than the report was about Nick York. Nick York was the first round pick of the Red Sox last year, which was kind of a surprise, but it was at the same time, you know, he was flagged by draft point as one of the sleepers of the, uh, of the 2020 draft class. And he's gone to, uh, to low a uh, Salem this year and uh, is having a solid start to his pro career, I would say 265, 351, 351 so far. So that's kind of what we, when we dove into it last year, those were some of the names that, that kind of popped up. Now we want to dive into it this year. And so Corey, how we're going to do this is we're going to go back and forth kind of on I, the way that draft point does. This is, is it puts together tiers and all, but it also gives you comparisons, players that bring up similarities in the right, in our reports and so we want to talk a lot about the similarities. People love comps. Basically we're giving you comps today and some of the comps are a little different than you maybe be used for in the past. We may comp a right-handed pitcher to a lefty, but we'll explain why as we do it. And kind of to start that, I'm going to kick it to you, Corey, and ask. So Andrew Abbott, the, uh, the, the Virginia lefty who was 67th on the BA, uh, 500. It's an interesting comp that, uh, that, that popped up for him and, and I'll t- let you take it from there.
1: <laughs> Thanks, JJ. Yeah,
0: uh, he's right up at
1: the top of our draft board this year, and it's based on the fact that he is his most similar comp, and really uh, eerily similar comp, uh, is to to Shane Bieber, of course. And you know, he was. Baseball America's 184 back when he was drafted. Um, But again, he's lefty righty. But when you look at the two draft reports, the scouting reports written this year versus the one with Shane Bieber, uh, you you look at their both ascending pitchers over their college careers, Uh, Abbott this year, definitely. uh, Tremendously low walk rates. They sit near the top of the nation's leaderboards during their draft year. Bieber did as well in looking at those low walk rates, strikeout rates. They can both locate their fastball well. They sit in that 89 to 91 range, but they really, the fastballs play up because of their ride and their ability to pitch up and down. So uh, other things in there that were mentioned were the the way that they pitched aggressively, uh, lauded for their durability. So when you look at those two scouting reports, we saw high similarities between those two. Uh, and that's not a bad guy to comp to as your top comp if you're looking for a, a, a player, you know, to to draft in this year's draft class.
0: Right. Obviously, like you said, we're we're comparing. Yes, it's a lefty, it's a righty. But at the same time, and, and this is one of the interesting aspects that we see in the draft in, in now. We had a piece by Travis Sachik wrote for us uh, a few months ago up at BaseballAmerica.com, also in the magazine, about how. Teams are more often now. There are teams who are deciding that command is harder to develop than velocity, and so uh, Shane Bieber is the poster child of this for a player who, kind of, at at the end of his college career, at his point of being drafted, velocity and stuff was kind of the concern. Which, if you just watch Shane Bieber as a big leaguer now, you may go, "Wait, what?" You know, and yes, now Shane Bieber is has some of the better stuff in the American League. You're talking about, you know, we're talking about the guy who was the best pitcher in the American League last year. And how did that happen? Well, the command, the control remained just what it was in college, but the stuff is significantly better. If Andrew Abbott does some, you know, some of the same, watch out. And so that's an interesting, uh, an interesting one to flag for that. Um, I'm going to give you the first one that kind of jumped out to me but we're going to kind of go back and forth on guys to kind of riff on. And and one for me was, now, Andrew Painter is not a sleeper. Andrew Painter came into this year as one of the top uh, high school pitching prospects in this draft class. He leaves this year. He's dipped a little bit, but not much. He's had a slow start and then kind of finished strong. And one of the comps for him was Andrew Miller. Now, again, lefty, righty. Painter's a righty. Miller's obviously a lefty, but but what it kind of flagged with both of them was, especially when you read Miller Andrew Miller's report coming out of high school, you had these two elite high school pitching prospects who really, in both cases, you looked at it as the best is yet to come, six foot six, Miller was skinnier, Painter still got room projectability, but but Miller, I would say, was even, you know, Andrew Miller was had more projectability coming out in high school, but both of them, I, I think, actually used the word silky smooth arm actions in both cases, which, okay. So you're talking about someone who has, who does it with uh, not a whole lot of effort command is already there uh, in both cases. And, 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 both of them actually, you know, their stuff didn't always mean we're always able to maintain that stuff uh, at a high level all through their outings, which again, when you're talking about young six foot six pitchers, not a shocking, uh, development and something though, that kind of pretends the uh, possibility of kind of future development, future strength gains, future gains in consistency a- as they go forward. Now, switching it back to, to you, Corey, uh, another one that, that, that you flagged on this was, uh, was was Max Diebeck, who's our 161st-ranked uh, prospect, right-hander, high school right-hander. What about him, and why does he comp to another Max?
1: <laughs> yeah, ironically, that was their top comp with Max Diebeck. Was that the fact that this kid coming out of high school was uh, so similar to the way that Max Fried did when he came out of high school, You know, back when he was drafted uh, at the seventh overall, they were both really tall, projectable prep pitchers. Um, they're at the top of their class. I think both scouting reports even mentioned top of their class in certain aspects coming into their season, senior season. But their fastball sitting around 94-ish. They can reach back for a little bit more. I think it was around 97, 98. Both of them, you know, big spin rate guys can manipulate the ball, throw strikes. But, well, the similarities there were interesting in that they both slipped a little during their season. I uh, Lost a little bit of the snap, lost a little bit of the movement. Uh, looked a little bit more effortful towards the end of the season, and both of them kind of had a little question marks coming into the draft based on could they sustain what had been their calling card coming into their senior year. And Max Freed clearly has performed well as he's grown throughout his professional career. If you look at the same projection from Max Diebeck, that's a very interesting similar comp of guys on their same maturation curve.
0: We're going to keep rolling along with these, but before we do, we do, we're going to stop for a quick message. And we're back. So as we keep rolling through pitchers who really kind of could jump out, another one that really does jump out to me. And I got to say, this team fascinated me. But when you look at Eastern Oklahoma State JC, which I, I know that there's a lot of Eastern Oklahoma State JC fans out there, you know, this is your moment for on the podcast, because you, you look at at that team, and you look at Christian McAllen, who ranks 193rd on our uh, on our BA 500. Right-hander. He's a again. This team's fascinating. We'll get further into that, but he's fascinating because he's this this uh, starting pitcher who you look at the the comps, the players that it compares him to, because of the attributes of his pitches, because of kind of his background, his story, and all that, and. It compares him to Brian Shaw, Andrew Smith. So a pair of kind of fast moving relievers coming out of the draft. Now, it's also interesting. It also compares him to Patrick Corbin, who Patrick Corbin obviously has become a, a very significant big league starter. Well, Patrick Corbin was another Juco arm coming out, you know, who, who was much less known, obviously at the time coming out of, uh, come out of junior college as he, for what he became down the road and. I, I think what is flagging there, what is co- pulling out of there is that McGowan has this really uh, pretty premium stuff. I mean, the stuff is 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 quite impressive. And he also, though, when you say, okay, well, how does he do it? Well, there's the big fastball there. And, and that's important because when you say, okay, well, why did he flag a, uh, you know, uh, a Brian Shaw, a Drew Smith? Well, those are some of the reasons is, is that... You're talking about players who also had big fastballs. Like if you look at Brian Shaw's report coming out of Long Beach State in 2008, it talked about how, uh, you know, ha- how he's uh, someone who kind of sat, you know, 95, 96 a lot. Which, okay, that doesn't sound that great now, but in 2008, trust me, 90, in college, guys sitting 95, 96 in 2008 what was really bringing it. You know, and also he had uh, excellent control for a power pitcher, should be able to move pretty quickly. Well, McGowan sits 94, 96, touches 98 as a starter, has both a two and a four seamer. And in his case, he has that slider, that above average slider. He also has developed a changeup too. So he's got multiple pitches that all seem to work together for him. And again, maybe... When we when we roll out comps, there are best case and worst case. That's one of the things I really enjoy about draft point, is you get kind of the good and the bad for almost every player you look at here. We're highlighting right now, we're gonna highlight some some more frightening comps in some cases too. A lot of these that we are finding are we are talking about, okay, these are you know kind of the 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 good scenarios for them. I, I will point out that if you said with Christian McGowan, other players that are pulls out include Bobby Blevins and Tyler Kahn and Joseph Krebs. So like there are a variety of, uh, of guys who get kind of pulled out in the cops, but, but one of the things that stands out with this is, is you kind of also get to remember you just hit on this, Corey, when you talked about with Freed. you get to remember, Oh, who are the players? Who are the pitchers who kind of backed up a little bit their, uh, their draft year? And how does that often turn out? And, that's one of the things that that draft point kind of kind of brings out for us there. Um, I, to keep it on the Eastern Oklahoma State JC because there are two different. They actually have three pitchers. This is a team that had a had more pure velocity than a lot of Division One staffs. They had three guys who could really bring it ninety five plus. But David Sandlin's another one on that same team. 357 this is a sleeper 357th on our BA 500 but what I found fascinating about it Corey I'll, I'll kind of kick it to you on this is is that Amir Garrett AJ Minner were a pair of guys who were flagged as comparisons and some of that's to be do do with stuff I mean these are all guys who can who can bring it but there were some other components of it also that that kind of played into why they ended up as comparisons
1: Oh, yeah. Well, if you look at it, you know, Sandlin, again, you mentioned it in your scouting report, uh, never threw a ball, a pitch for his varsity team. So you're talking about, to, about guys that are low innings, uh, not much track record, kind of even in some cases here, new to pitching or baseball altogether. So if you look at a guy like David Sandlin, the fact you're seeing Amir Garrett and AJ Minter right up on top, you look through and you say, well, that clearly is because they're, you know, both pitchers new to the pitching during their draft seasons. Uh, they have really accelerated quickly with the way that they're now sitting with their fastballs and their secondary pitches, and their trajectory is just straight up. And you wonder sometimes. Same thing with Minter; he had limited uh, right, college of career pitches because he was injured, of course. Tommy John, but he was injured. He had limited, uh, you know, uh, use of his arm. I guess at that point in time, meaning perhaps there is something to limited arm usage and wear and guys that are just picking it up on the fly. Uh, and when it's comping these guys, draft points, just pulling out that there is some trajectory going on with players that have had similar, I guess, lack of prep and lack of arm wear.
0: Right. Like to go back to, uh, to if you don't, you know, for someone who doesn't know the the story with Amir Garrett, Amir Garrett didn't really play. He was a he was a premium basketball recruit actually played division 1 basketball and so because of that it also meant that he didn't uh he, he didn't really play his high school senior year and he just threw for some teams but the back in the old system where you could take kind of more chances like this the the reds gave him big money as a late round pick to uh to sign with them even though they knew that they were paying him a million dollars to still play basketball and then play baseball on the side effectively. And eventually he did convince, they did convince him baseball's where your long-term future's at, which it has paid off for him. He's you know been a long time big leaguer now, but in, in the case of Sandlin, when he re, when he signed with Eastern Oklahoma State, JC, he, he had never thrown a varsity pitch. He did eventually get to pitch for his varsity team his senior year or something, but the velocity was was not really there. He was, had to fill out, which, by the way, is another comparison between him and Garrett, both guys who are these kind of long-arm guys who, who need to fill out. Now you're seeing him touch 98. He has a splitter. And again, when you talk about, okay, well, so what are some... It pulled out those guys because they had kind of those shorter uh, track records. Well, another guy who the jury's still out on, but Sam Borger from Louisville is another guy it flagged, and it flagged him because... In Borders' case, he was really good at times at Louisville, but he just had a lot of injury history where it was hard to kind of uh, to fully know what you were going to get because he, he really never got to show it that much in college. Again, that's one of the things that it's pulling out. Um, I want to reverse it back now to kind of a little bit higher up on the list. Again, Sandlin is 357 on the list. That's a sleeper. Uh, it's a sleeper I like. I, I love that draft point flag that. But more at the near the top of the list, if you watched uh, the college, uh, you know, not just college world series, but if you watched college baseball this year, you probably saw Gavin Williams. If you watched ECU versus Vanderbilt in the uh, NCAA Super Regionals, which I would, I hope you did, because it was a really good series. But if you did, you saw Gavin Williams who. ECU had kind of a, a, the misfortune of getting matched up against the team that had the two aces in Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter because I think that ECU would have matched up very nicely if they had Gavin Williams going up against maybe a, a team that didn't have two of the top 10 picks in the uh, upcoming draft. But Gavin Williams flags some impressive comparisons in his case. And one of the thought was very interesting is his if flagged Lance McCullers Jr., who was 13th on our list back in 2012. And you say, okay, well, this is the high school guy. This is the college guy. But the attributes are, are, are pretty similar. Uh, you're talking about both are guys with big time fastballs who both had in their reports about touching 100. Both of them who had breaking balls, you know, present breaking balls. McCullers has kind of his breaking balls morphed a couple of times during his pro career a little bit. And he's kind of added some other stuff as a lot of pitchers do, but he was a fastball breaking ball guy coming into the draft. Obviously famously is one of the players that the Astros were able to sign because they went under slot for Carlos Correa with the number one pick in the 2012 draft. Gavin Williams, a lot of these same attributes. I'm a big Gavin Williams fan. I I do think that there's attributes that are really going to pay off Again, the thing that you would say, though, is, is in in McCullers' case, added a little similarity, hadn't pitched a whole lot as a starter before he was uh, drafted and signed, even though he's been a starter pretty much ever since. In Gavin Williams' case, this year, 2021, obviously we had the COVID year last year, but 2021 is the first year it's all come together for, for Gavin Williams. So that, to me, is one that 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 fits very well as well and it's kind of interesting to see now, again, this will draft point goes through the entire 500 and then goes through and looks at every player we have in our draft database, which is a whole lot of players going back over a whole lot of years. Like we just talked about, we were talking about Brian Shaw at his 2008 report, because it's got it in there. I, another one of these that are, that I really like Corey is Matt Litwicky, which is another Lesser known guy, but Matt Litwicki, 211 on the VA 500. What did it flag with him? Well, it. (laughs) I I love this. This is why Draft Point Point is kind of cool to talk about too, because
1: it remembers even when JJ sometimes Mm -hmm. almost never forgets. Uh, but with a guy like Austin Adams, okay, he was at the time of his draft, he was 468th on the Baseball America list. So you're talking a guy that's a deep sleeper at that point in time. But now we're looking at Matt LaQuicky pulls him right up. He's 211th on the list. A couple of right-handed pitchers with huge, big arms fastball, breaking ball combo. Uh, I, the excellent strikeout to walk ratio keeps coming up over and over throughout their scouting reports. Uh, Look, Wicky only threw 12 innings, I think, this season. I think he, got, he only got in 12 innings and had 17 strikeouts and two walks, which is pretty nice ratio. But limited track record, uh, very short on both of them. I think Adams had like a 32 to nine strikeout to baseball to walk ratio during his innings this year. But limited innings, very similar stuff. A lot of control guys. Uh, so I, the fact that they pulled those two up kind of was it really bubbled the service. kind of caught my eye for a deep sleeper.
0: Let Wiki... Uh, COVID obviously plays a part in this from 2020, but Let has a total of 31.1 innings in his college career, three years at Indiana. So it's hard to fully know what to make of him, as Corey just noted. But at the same time, Austin Adams is a... Uh, a positive outcome of how a player who has such a limited track record in college can turn out and and again the other thing about this is is sometimes it is easy for us when we talk about the draft to talk about the the Lance of a color juniors of of the world but the Austin Adams of the world's are success stories because Austin Adams is someone who scouting department a scout an area scout maybe an analytics department. They all saw something enough to draft him. And then the player developed the side was able to develop him into where Austin Adams has been a useful big league reliever for multiple years. Now that may not sound like hitting a home run, probably not, but that's what that's a big part of the purpose of the draft. The draft is not just about finding the next Mike Trout. There's only one of those that comes along every uh, generation. So it's not just about that. It's often about finding those players who are productive, sometimes in more limited roles. And maybe that's what Litwicky ends up being. And if he ends up having an Austin Adams-type career, that would actually be a a, uh, a useful part of it. I, is that one of the things, Corey, you know, you've been now kind of immersed in this for several years. Is that something, I guess, kind of, you know, that. how, how have you perceived that now realizing that, you know, there's not just the the guy who ends up being the all-star, but if you can find that guy who ends up giving you 35 good innings in a year, there's a lot of value in that in the draft in, as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and with our work with teams and MLB teams in the past, it, it wasn't always about, hey, here's the best player to draft in the entire draft. It's why there are 30 to 40 rounds in a Major League Baseball draft. It's because there are so many players that you're evaluating. And if you get value in the upper rounds past 10 plus that has any service time at the Major League level, that's a win. And so when you look at a guy like that, if you can get him at the right round in the right way, and he actually produces for either an organizational talent or even at the Major League level, that's a huge win. You're drafting a lot of players. You're putting a lot of time into selecting these players. There's a lot of information about every player. So to be able to bubble up sleepers where you can get high value for a little bit lower signing bonus, that's the key to having a successful draft. They don't all have to be Mike Trout.
0: And this year, we do go back to 20 rounds. We were five last year. We'll probably never see 40 again. We'll definitely never see the the old rule where you got to draft as long as you wanted to. And one year, there was a year that the New York Yankees said, ah, we want to go to 100 rounds. We will never see 100 rounds again but we will see 20. And and so that means that it's not just going to be, it's going to be a full day one day two and a little bit shorter, but a day three. And if you check it out at baseball America, we've got the BA 500, but also we're going to have a couple more pieces like this about some of the the players who have surfaced deeper on in our 500 and comparisons that draft point has pulled out of them. So if you enjoyed this podcast, we got good news for you. We're doing exactly the same kind of thing. We're going to do one about the hitters too. So if you enjoyed the Draft Point pitching podcast, check it out. We will be coming out very shortly with the Baseball America and Draft Point hitting sleepers. Uh, sleepers again, hitting podcast because we're going to hit on sleepers. But even again, some of the other guys who are a little bit more prominent, maybe, you know, we are going to have at least one guy I know of who's in the top 10. So I don't want to make it sound like a top 10 guy's a sleeper, but if you enjoyed this, check that out as well. And obviously go to baseballamerica.com. We had our sleepers list last year. We'll do the same thing with the draft point list this year as well. So for Corey Patton, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody.